0: How's it going? So, one more game, Time for a game. Ow! All right, quiz time. You get the answer All right. So, hands up, no shouting. Manners, everybody. I'm just going to throw you a random one. I'm sorry if you don't like banana. Okay, so first question. When was the Treaty of Waitangi signed? Nikki. (laughs) Oh, hi, Lawrence. Nikki. Okay. What is the name of Wellington in Māori? What's that? Wellington, did someone say? (laughs) Chris. Ah, nice. Oh, I apologize for that throw. <laughs> Poor Nikki or Whanganui atara. Next one. What is the name of the Iwi local to Porirua? <laughs> Helen. <laughs> What's that Helen? <laughs> oh, how you know? Oh, I apologize for that throw as well. What is Helen, you can't get this one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of their famous chief who wrote the Kamate Haka? <laughs> oh, BJ. <laughs> Oh, that's a better throw. What is the Māori word for normal? Ne. Maori. Yes, it is. It's Māori. <laughs> Apparently... Oh, yellow one. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, when James Cook first arrived in New Zealand and he uh, came and met Māori on the beach, they kind of came along saying, look, we're Europeans, we're from England. Who are you guys? And the Māori people on the beach were like... Well, we're normal. <laughs> Who are you guys? <laughs> so that's one kind of story. There's lots of other stories about how that name came about, but that's one of them. The name of this building is Timanua. What does Timanua mean, Joe? Heart. Oh. Oh, semi-blame me and semi-blame you for that. How do you say thank you in Maori? Everyone's seen the yellow one in my hand, haven't <laughs> they? <I> don't <laughs> answer it. <laughs> Orange one. Who knows? Helen again, kia or o What was the, Everyone should know this one if you've done social studies in New Zealand. What was the name of the chief who is famous for chopping down the flagpole in Russell? Amber, hona Oh, that was a good throw and good catch. What does the name Rotorua refer to? Lawrence. Yeah, two lakes. Now this is my favourite one. This is a kiwaha, which is like a uh, just kind of like a phrase like, or a saying. So what does if I was to call you a poto, what would I be calling you? Uh, and I'm tight. I was going to give two. You because I told you that one, Sally. <laughs> it is stingy. Ringa poto refers to having short fingers. It means if you go to pay, you put your hands in your pocket to grab your wallet, but your fingers are too short to grab the money. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favourite ones. <laughs> And a few lollies for me later <laughs> cool okay, so I'm going to be hobbling around the stage today um, because injured my knee a few weeks ago, getting better, so I might I might fall over at some stage, but if that does just ignore me. So I want to start by looking at a um, a quick story so when, before I preach, I think it's quite cool to be able to share kind of stories from our country before we do it, because we've got a great history in Aotearoa. Some of the ways that God has moved through this land has been really exciting. And I'm not going to go back to 1840 today to the Treaty of Waitangi, because we could be here forever arguing over kawana-tanga governorship, tinoranga Tiratanga, and sovereignty, and because people still haven't figured out those arguments yet, so we'll, we'll leave that for them for a bit. And we're going to go back to 1814. So last time I preached, I kind of talked a little bit about when Samuel Marsden came and preached the gospel for the first time. So we want to go back to that this morning. So when Samuel Marsden came to Oihua Beach, to the bay there, him and a, a rangatira from Ngāpuhi, a chief from Ngāpuhi, um, came together and they kind of did this gospel presentation together. It was kind of unfair because everyone forgets about Ruotara and they kind of give Samuel Marsden all the mana for that, which is a bit rude really. But it was both of them giving this presentation. So Samuel Marsden came up and said, the verse from Luke 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. From Luke 2, verse 10. And Ruatara's job, while Samuel Marsden was kind of bringing the main preachers, that he was kind of translating where he, where he needed to and was kind of trying to bring understanding to different worldview where he needed to at that point. Now, as they shared that gospel um, for the first time, the Ngāpuhi people, when they heard that gospel, they responded with something called a hari. And this is how that huri goes. It goes, Kanuku nuku ku kanake neke, neke. Kanuku nuku ku ka neke, neke. Titi roki nga wai e hura nei me he ki takutu te pai, Takato te pai. Fiti fiti ta 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 ta, fiti ta ta ta. ta. hira ki tua takutu te pai, takutu te pai. Now, this hari, what a hari is, is it's like a haka. So a haka is a, a war dance done as a kind of a challenge. But a hari, on the, on the other side, hari, the word translates to joy. So it's a dance of joy. So when they first heard the gospel for the first time, the response from Ngāpuhi was, Ka nuku nuku, ka neke neke, which to translate means we move to the left and we move to the right. I see John kind of going through it with me as I'm saying it. We move to the left and we move to the right. Basically meaning, we make space for you here. Which is such an exciting kind of response to what's being said. Now, there's two kind of arguments as to kind of what the Ngāpuhi were responding to at that time. The first argument people say is they're responding to the gospel. That the first time they hear the gospel, they go, wow, this is amazing. And it impacts their lives. And they say, yes, this gospel's welcome here. But I don't think that's a correct way that they responded to it. The reasons for that are... For the next 40 years, we only see two people converted. (laughs) So I think if it was a genuine response to the gospel, they'd all be responding and you'd see the 400 people who are at Oiho Bay that day kind of give their lives to God. I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of try and over christianize things, don't we? And try and make, for some reason, we think that we can make God sound better than he already is. And sometimes we kind of do that with some of these stories. So what that will do is if we begin to do that, then it kind of takes away from 40 years down the track when Māori began to ran with that gospel for the first time. And there were times when Pākehā missionaries would go to different parts of New Zealand, and uh, they'd already be in church services there before they'd even got there. So when the gospel fully exploded in New Zealand 40 years later, it was just unstoppable, and Māori were going evangelists, and people were being persecuted. But that's when the true gospel really sprung up. So that's why we don't want to give credit there where it's, I don't personally think it's due, but you could argue with me about that. But... <laughs> What I think they are welcoming, when they say ka nuku nuku, ka niki niki, I think what they're saying is they're just saying that to the foreigners who have just arrived here. They're saying, we're going to make room for you guys to be here amongst us so that we can grow together. We accept that we're both from different cultures that are completely different, but we're going to learn to grow together. Now, I think that that's an uh, amazing thing about um, the Maori worldview in New Zealand is that kind of, that kind of outlook is uh, it's a really welcoming culture. Rua Taro, when he was... Tara, he actually never became a Christian. The guy who helped Samuel Marsden on uh, on that first Sunday, on that first uh, day in 1814, but what he was known as is he was given the nickname Te Te Rongapai, which stands for means the gateway or the pathway for the gospel. Now I believe that um, Māori in New Zealand, what it does now is I like to think of it as Te Aro Ngāiwi, which is the gateway for the nations or the pathway for the nations. That when we begin to use te reo Māori or begin to talk about all things Māori at church, it kind of opens up a gateway for the other nations to kind of come in and say, yes, we have a place here as well. And I find that really exciting. Mm. So there's been Sundays here where we've kind of been doing, doing our normal thing and then we might finish a Sunday on something Māori and then Tetenda kind of sparks up in one of the Zimbabwean languages. And it's so exciting to hear Tetenda burst out in that. And then we had Marianne as well in Dutch begin to burst out after that. And I just think it's so exciting that what Maori can do in this nation is it can kind of bring in and usher in all the other nations to feel that they also have a place because that kānuka nuka niki is not just for Pakeha. That is for people from all nations who are coming here. It just happened to be Pakeha who turned up first. Let's move on. I just like sharing stories like that. It's quite exciting. <laughs> okay. So what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at being a multicultural church. This. Uh, this term, we're going to kind of be looking at a few things and key things as to what makes our church tick. What are some of the core values of our church? And over the last few years, one of these core values has been that we are now a multicultural church. And we value, we put high value on being a multicultural church. We say that being a multicultural church is not just a want that it will be a, a cool thing to have, but we say it's a need. Yes. It's a need to have a multicultural church. And I'm going to go, we'll explain that later. But a good place to always start when preaching is to go and look to the Bible first, eh? (laughs) So let's have a look. This is a verse that I've used a few times when talking about multicultural, and it is, oh, that is tiny. It's this one in Revelation. (laughs) I have to get closer. So it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes, the palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God Promise to not just one culture or one group of people. That is a promise to the world. That one day, this is what the church is to look like when we get to heaven. This is what it's going to be, wiping away tears from all nations. That we're all coming together for that. The next one, what we're going to look at, another verse. It talks about how, kind of, the Bible talks about is how we're all one people and one body in Christ, doesn't it? And so we have these verses, Colossians verse 11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Galatians 3 verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So we understand that, don't we? We understand that we are all one people, but we're still different, aren't we? We are one body, but we're all different. There's that verse that talks about uh, spiritual giftings and about how the hand and the foot and the blah 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 blah, blah the different parts of the body. But be- kind of before that, it adds in a little line talking about Jews and Gentiles as well. So yes, that, that scripture is more aimed at the kind of the spiritual giftings, but it does talk about how we're all nations in that one body as well, doesn't it? And so because we're all different, we all have different things to give, and we're not just different culturally, but there's male and female, and they we we, we each male and female have different things to bring. For example, when me and Stacey, we spent some time in Cambodia. And what's really interesting is that over there, most of the people who are out there doing work amongst the poor and doing work in the different, um, different dark places that are out there, they're, they're mostly women. And I found that really interesting. And we kind of sat back one time and said, well, why is there more women out here than men? It's like The numbers are majorly different. There is a whole lot more single women out there than there is men. And we were kind of thinking about it and we think, well, probably women are just more compassionate than men a lot of the time. And that's a great attribute that women have, that us men can learn a lot, a lot from them for. So there's kind of these different things that the genders will bring, but also the different things that the cultures will bring as well. Acts 2, we went through this very briefly last time I preached. We'll go through it in a bit more detail now. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the tongues of fire on people's heads, and then they begin to go and preach the gospel. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, who are from Persia or northeastern Iran, they spoke the Parth of a language. Medes, also from Iran, spoke the Median language. Elamites, southern Iran, spoke the Elamite language. Residents of Mesopotamia, parts of Iraq, Kuwait, Syria and Turkey, that is. Judea, southern Israel, and Cappadocia, Turkey, Pontus were the coastal regions of Turkey, and Asia, which I kind of took kind of today's stats on Asia, Asia is currently 48 countries and 55 official languages at the moment, but back then there was probably more because there was more kind of different groups around at that time. Uh, Phrygia, another part of Turkey, Pamphylia, Turkey again, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans who are, who are Greek and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed, then they asked each other, well, what does this mean? What does it mean when you hear the gospel being spoken in your own tongue? Well, Nelson Mandela said this. He said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, then that goes to his heart. Mm-hmm. So what... God was doing by, while the Holy Spirit was working in it, by enabling people to be able to speak in all these different languages was he was prioritizing those languages, wasn't he? He was saying, well, I don't want you all just to be able to speak one language because that would be, that'd be boring and you miss things out. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's saying, actually, I want these different languages to be spoken. Otherwise, he would have made all these other countries be able to understand the language they spoke in Galilee at the time but actually he did it the other way and made them understand all these amazing different languages from around the world because God values language and God values culture. So let's move on. Why do we need a multicultural church? I've got three points here. Because different cultures have different perspectives on life, on language, and on God. On life. Let me tell you a few great stories. Now... In uh, Arabic culture, say for example this. We'll go, we'll, go, we'll go Western culture first, say this. You're on your way to an important meeting. While you're walking down the street on your way to this important meeting, you see someone you haven't seen in years and years and years, a really old school friend, say. You haven't seen in years and years and years. You see your friend in the street, what would we do? As, what would our response to that be? We'd be like, oh, wow, I haven't seen you in so long. Look, here's my number. Let's get together later because I'd love to catch up with you. And then you go and to your meeting. You might be, no, yeah, you wouldn't be late, would you? No, not at all. And then you'd go to your meeting after that. Well, what was what would that happen in the Arabic world? I know there's a few other cultures. I think Francis was nodding with me when I told him this story one time. So maybe. <laughs> so if you are in the Arabic world and you came up and you saw a friend you hadn't seen in years and years and years, old school friend, you'd come up, you'd greet your friend, and then you'd say, "How's your kids? How's your wife? How's this? How's that? What have you been doing?" And you'd go on for ages and ages and ages and you'd talk and talk and talk because they put such a high value on relationship. And then you'd go to your meeting, you'd be two hours late to your meeting, get to your meeting, the person might still be there, I don't know. You'd get there and they'd say, well, where were you? And you'd go, well, I actually, I just saw a friend I hadn't seen in 20 years. And they'd go, oh, okay, that's all right then. And then you'd get on with your meeting. (laughs) I don't think they'd be, that's all right. You wouldn't be there if you were in our culture, would you? You'd be gone with a rude note left on the table as well. What about in Turkey? Dave Devinish, he's a, a, I'm like his number one fan. He's a big kind of, he's a great guy who kind of does lots of work into different nations. He, he's from our family of churches in the UK. And I'm still waiting for him to write to me, offering me an apprenticeship to go and study with him. But he tells the story of when he was, um, when he was in Turkey. So he often brings in things about contextualization and kind of talks to lots of Western cultures as to how we can try and understand different cultures. And one day, the, this Turkish church that he was working with, they said, well, Dave, you always do the stuff on contextualization to Westerners. Why don't you do it to us? Why don't we try and understand where they're coming from a bit more? And so Dave said, OK, then, well, what about this? When Westerners, when it gets late and their kids have had tea, Westerners will put their children to bed at 7 o'clock and will then stay up a bit longer and will then go to bed a bit later at probably 9, 10 o'clock. And the, Turk, the Turks gorgeous, they were bewildered by this. They said, but don't they love their children in the West? Why do they not want to spend time with them? <laughs> it's just a completely different culture that they put so much more value on family time spending together than what we would put on in the West. Just a, a different way of doing life. These different world views that these different cultures bring. Second point is language. Wade Davis, who's an anthropologist, studies cultures, he says this, he says, A language is not just a body of vocabulary or a set of grammatical rules. A language is a flash of the human spirit. It's a vehicle through which the spirit of each particular culture comes into the material world. Every language is an old growth forest of the mind, a watershed of thought, an ecosystem of spiritual possibilities. All of these people teach us that there are other ways of being, other ways of thinking, and other ways of orienting yourself in the earth. And this is an idea that, if you think about it, can only fill you with hope. When we learn about the way different languages kind of speak, when you learn a language, you're not just learning language. Uh, We recently had um, Mike Hosking have a a little say on te reo Maori, and one of the things he said is he said, it's no use because when we're trying to talk to people, no one else speaks it. So when we're using it as just a sense of getting my point to your point, what's the point in learning te Māori in New Zealand because no one speaks it, no one's going to speak it when we're trying to do international trade deals. What's the point in te Māori? There's no point in it anymore. And he's, he's true if he says it, if it's just a point of getting your point across, then maybe there's not. But language is so much more than just communication, isn't it? When you're studying a language, those of you will know if you've... Uh, if you study a language or you know multiple languages, that when you speak another language is you begin to understand where that culture's worldview comes from. You begin to understand what's important to that culture, how that culture sees different things in the world. So, for example, in Māori, there is a word called manakitanga. Now, manakitanga basically translates to like encouragement or hospitality. There's all these different meanings that go with it. But when we break down the word manakitanga, it breaks down to mana. Which is kind of a person's kind of almost honor, a person's honor. Like if they have a lot of mana, then we kind of, they're held in high regard as they have very little mana, then kind of shuffle them to the corner. And then so it's mana and ake, and ake means this way ake means up. So manakitanga is to take their mana and take it up, to encourage them, to help build someone's mana up. Now, these are things, we don't have a word like that in English, in the English language. I heard someone say that if you want a language that is best to communicate with someone, then you learn English. Whereas if you want a language that has a lot more meaning to it and a lot more effect to it, then you can learn lots of other languages that will do that. So that's what a language can do. The other, uh, the other example I've got is uh, one I talked about last time, but there is a culture that, oh, in, in the West, when we say we're in love with someone, when I fell in love with Stacey, that's what we say, don't we? We say, I fell in love with Stacey. We don't all say that. You say about your own partners. <laughs> but I, I fell in love with Stacey. That's what I say. I fell. I fall. There's, you know, it's, I have no control over it. I just fell over. It's just one of those things that happened. I just fell in love with her. It just came upon me. And what that means then is it means that we can quite easily fall out of love with that person, doesn't it? If it happens like that and we have no control over it, then it can happen the opposite way as well, can't it? That we fall out of love with someone. Well, there's a culture that I cannot remember the, the name of the culture, but they describe love as a painting. That instead of falling in love, is that you paint love. So what happens, what does that do to us when we begin to understand love as more of a painting? Well, it means we have to put work into it, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. Is that we've got to put work into it. And there might be a time when you're, when you're doing this painting where you come across a oh, part of it that's a bit harder. And so what do you do? Well, you might just need to take a step back, look at it, approach things from a different angle, and go at it again. Think about it for a while, go at it again. Do you see how understanding this other language is so helpful to us understanding what love actually is? Not this silly little thing that we fall in and out of, but it's this thing that uh, requires our time and our effort that we put into it. And the other thing, the last thing I've got um, for why we need a multicultural church is because we need different cultures' worldview on God and who God is. Because. The Bible is not a Western book. The Bible is an Eastern book. Yet for some reason in the West we think we're so intellectual and know so much about it compared to other cultures, don't we? It's so easy for us to judge other cultures and what they bring when they share things from the Bible. It's like I've, I've, kind of, I've shared this before, but the way we need other cultures, it's like three blind men and an elephant. You have the elephant sitting there and the three blind men come up to the elephant and one of them grabs it by the tail and says... Oh, it's this long, thin thing with a really kind of rough end to it. Another man comes onto the side and he grabs the side of this elephant and goes, It's huge, it's huge, it's this giant, it's really solid and hard. And then another guy comes to the front and grabs the trunk of the elephant. And it's like, Oh, it's really weird and kind of s- snorting at the end. <laughs> but what does that do? Well, the three blind men then have a better impression of what the elephant actually is than them only grabbing it by this single part. So it's the same for us with church, with God. For us to be able to understand God to more of a fuller extent, we need other cultures to be able to talk into it. We don't just want it. We need other cultures to be able to talk into that. For us to be able to understand the Bible more, well, we should probably try and learn a bit more from maybe more of an Eastern perspective because Jesus wasn't Arab. He was from the Eastern world. Maybe we should try and learn more from that perspective. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that... What we bring from our Western perspective is wrong because the world needs our Western perspective as well. So, for example, in Cambodia, the word they use for the father, for God, is they use prayer bedah. And so Badar means father and prayer means kind of like Lord. There is no word for the father as just a dad. There's no word for that in the Cambodian language because it's a hierarchical language. So they like to put the hierarchy in it and say Lord God. So for us as Westerners, we can bring in and say, actually, we don't need to know the father as a Lord father. There's obviously that perspective as well, but we we get to know him as just our dad, as our dad at home. And so Western we can bring these other things into it as well. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Western church has nothing to offer, because we have so much to offer as well. But what I am saying is that we need every culture for this to work. So what gets in the way of us becoming a multicultural church? The first one is a word called ethnocentrism. And what ethnocentrism means is it means that you judge another culture and compare it to your own, usually more superior, culture. Now, this is something, this is what anthropologists say every, every living person does. There's nobody in the world who will not judge other cultures and compare it to their own. Even anthropologists who study culture do this. And so they have to continually go back and remind themselves, wait, did I just compare this to my own culture? Did I do this? It's really interesting. I've actually been, I got, I got called out the other day because... I was just telling Jack this, like, literally two weeks ago, right? I was telling him about this culture that I'd been studying, and they were terrible, right? And I was saying this to Jack. I was saying, this culture, they're called the Naserima, and they're a terrible culture. They do all this horrible stuff. And I say, we're told not to judge other cultures, but I'm going to judge them completely. They're (laughs) terrible. And this is what I said, right? I said, they have these weird rituals where they have medicine men who kind of drill holes into people's teeth, and and all this horrible stuff, take them to their temple, and then they go to this other temple and they take people's bodies out if they're sick. made them pay extortionate amounts of money or take out people's body parts, and sometimes they'll even die in this thing. And then, do you know, I found out, just as like last week, Nasarema backwards is American, and it was actually about the Western culture. <laughs> <laughs> Man. And I'd been, saying it t- I'd been studying it at uni and not picked it up the whole time at uni. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> There's a story of an Italian man who worked for an NGO that went into Zambia. And so, in this place he went to in Zambia, was this beautiful valley, you know, just so flush and ready to have things grown right next to a river. And this Italian guy walked in and he said, Oh, what are these? You know what? We're going to save Africa. You know what, because we can plant amazing fruit and vegetables here that they're not doing. We don't know why they're not doing it, but let's put our minds together and let's save Zambia. It's going to be amazing. And so they planted all this stuff. They didn't talk to the Zambians, by the way. They went in and they started planting all those vegetable patches and fruit patches and things began to grow. And apparently he was saying that they've got tomatoes like this big because it was just such a fertile place in Zambia. So a week or two before they began to harvest things, these hippos came out of the river and ate everything, <laughs> ate everything. And he said he felt like an absolute idiot because they'd gone in and kind of thought, these guys don't know what they're doing, well, we're going to go and save them and do their own thing. But what he said, it was quite funny, is he said, to be honest, we actually felt better than the English, the Americans and the other NGOs that were going in there because at least we were feeding the hippos. LAUGHTER <laughs> What we're going to do is I'm going to put up a few names of countries on the screen here because there might be some countries or some people groups or different ethnicities that stand out to you when I put them up of a nation that you have put your judgment on and compared it to your own. Now, all of, all of us will do this to some extent, so I don't feel I'm the worst because you're not because everyone does it. If they say they don't and then they're lying to you. But w- there might be some other countries on there that I have missed out. I've only just I put about 15 together, 20 together. So we're just going to spend a minute, take one minute, just think about it, and say, is there a culture on this screen that's coming up that I've actually passed my judgment on this culture? Almost needs some music to go along with it, doesn't it? Mm-mm-mm, but, but, mm-mm-mm. Probably not suitable music. Cool. So God might just begin to speak to you as we continue to talk about different nations that you might have passed judgment on and be comparing it to your own. Now, I'm not saying you're a racist. These days, everybody's a racist about everything. Oh, I don't like that culture's biscuit. Oh, you're a racist. <laughs> it's, we're not, it's not being racist. If you're being racist, then you hate that culture. And I'm not saying, you know, that's pretty extreme. I'm not saying anyone here hates that culture. Maybe me against the but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying anyone here hates that culture. But I'm just saying let God begin to speak to you about cultures that you've passed judgment on. When they've done things that have been in their cultural way of doing things and you've passed judgment on. Maybe someone's turned up too early to your house or too late to your house or whatever it is. Just have a think about that. When me and Stacey were in Cambodia, there were a few things that we really struggled with over there. We struggled with the heat because it was ridiculously 46 degrees. Man, it was crazy heat over there, really, really hot. And at night, Adam was with us as well, Adam Roach was with us. At night, our aircon didn't work, so it was 36 degrees at night, and me and Adam would just sit on this leather sofa and peel ourselves off it, (laughs) you know, these big wet marks where we'd just sit and watch football videos. It was very depressing. So it was really heat. We struggled with the heat. We struggled with the food. I was just like on the toilet constantly. (laughs) We struggled with the food and we struggled with the traffic. because They describe the Cambodian traffic like a river. There's there's no rules to it, but it just flows where it needs to flow. That's how they describe the, the traffic in Cambodia, everyone on motorbikes. So what happens in Cambodia is you get Westerners like myself who will go to Cambodia and say, oh, it's too hot, your country is too hot. It's crazy, it's crazy hot. Your country, something wrong with it, it's so hot. Or, oh the food here just makes people sick all the time. How can you eat what you eat? How can you do oh the traffic's crazy? Like I almost got crashed into all the time and this and do you know what happens? When people begin to hear you say that over and over again about their culture, then they begin to believe it, which is a really sad thing. And do you know that in many parts of Africa the name for white man is actually translates to boss because of the way Westerners have gone in and kind of treated a lot of people in Africa. So what happened was one of our really good friends, oh, there they are, Narrett and Rannick. They were some of me and really, they've actually had kids at pretty much the same time as we've had kids as well since we've been back. There's some of our really good friends over there. Now, they came over to Sydney and we spent some time in Sydney with them. Now, this was like northern beaches, Sydney, so it's like the most amazing part of Sydney. It's like like crazy orange sand and like everything's beautiful. And for this conference we were at, the people putting on the conference kind of went all out. So we went for a meal one time, and it was like a big rack of ribs and all this crazy amounts of food. And I was, you know, I was obviously loving it. But we got to the end of our time, and I said to Nairn and Ranik, I said, so how's your time been? And they said, oh, we actually, we found it really hard, actually. And I just said, good, good. Because you know how I felt when I was in Cambodia. (laughs) (laughs) But it was interesting what they struggled with is that they struggled with the food, Because they didn't like a lot of the food over here. Same as I struggled in Cambodia. They struggled with the food in Australia. This big rack of ribs we had was smothered in barbecue sauce and they couldn't stand barbecue sauce because it was so different to what they were used to. They got travel sick all the time. They couldn't go in cars. Rannick in particular, the lady on the right, they couldn't go in cars. And she'd walk just kilometres and kilometres instead of having to drive because um, she wasn't used to being in a car because she was used to just being on a motorbike all the time and she'd get so travel sick every time she was in a car. And then also the other thing was, every time she'd go into a room with carpet, she'd get all these allergies to the carpet, the dust that was in the carpet, because they don't have carpet in Cambodia. It's all tiles because it's so hot. If you think about it, carpet's a bit gross, really, isn't it? Like <laughs> we, we all walk on it in our shoes and pull this gross stuff in it, so no wonder they all get sick from it. It's not good. But the thing that was so good about Nare and Rannick getting sick, apart from the fact that they had a bit of what I felt, was that they learnt that it wasn't their culture that was the problem. It wasn't their country that had something wrong with it. But what they learnt was that if you go from any country to another country, you will find something hard. How many people, our church was originally uh, planted out of the UK. How many people, when they came over, found it hard to go from the UK to New Zealand? So lots of people found it hard. And what was the thing that we always said? Oh, it's so different over here. That's, yeah, that's true. It's a different country. Like, it's going to be different. <laughs> so that's something that that we've just got to be aware of, that often we will judge other cultures, but it's just when they go into a different place, you will always struggle with that and always find it hard. So when we go into different cultures, places for dinner, and you might find it hard there, maybe just keep that to yourself. <laughs> maybe let's just keep this kind of things to ourselves. Yeah? Cool. <laughs> Another thing that we kind of pass off as ethnocentric and we kind of put judgment on other people's cultures for is for the way they do church and the way they do God, isn't it? Sometimes the things that they say can be a little bit strange and just foreign to our Western culture or whatever culture we're from. Some of the, the ways that people approach things might be very superstitious or a bit, we don't agree with that. But let me just argue, is the points they're making, do you not agree with it because it's biblical or do you not agree with it because it's your own culture's worldview? So often we grow up and we get the two mixed together, don't we? I remember when I was younger, I got told that all these Christian Uh, youth groups and stuff, I got told, when the Holy Spirit comes inside you, it's pretty much like your conscience. So, you know, it will tell you things that are right and things that are wrong, and it will just feel right and feel wrong. Well, no, that's worldview. That's what worldview does to you, not not the Holy Spirit all the time. I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. But majority of the time, that's actually worldview that is telling you things that are right and wrong. And so we can't base our feelings towards another culture, and we're not comparing it to the Bible and what the Scripture is actually saying. That's a big one. So, for example... How many people here would feel uncomfortable if I started praying, Allah, you are so good. Lots of people might feel a bit uncomfortable with that. Yeah? Well, what does Allah translate to? Allah translates to, he who has no beginning. And when you actually look at the Arabic Bible, what is the word they use for God in the Arabic Bible? Is the word Allah. So for us to say, you, can't, you guys go, we go to a Muslim country and say, you guys can't use the word Allah for God. Well, why not? The Bible talks about God not having a beginning. He was always there. And these are kind of things that different cultures can kind of bring into our Western culture for us to have a greater understanding. Because what, what does God mean? I don't know. I don't even know what it has meaning. It's just a random word that we've thrown in there. But Allah actually has meaning to it. It actually says He who has no beginning. And I find that quite powerful. This this uh this is quote here from a guy called Dean Fleming. He says, At times we must be willing to allow our own culture-bound theologies and practices to be confronted and renewed. Only then can the gospel hope to address new challenges and constituencies with spirit-graced authenticity. Those of us who are part of dominant cultures and mother churches especially need to confess that we, like the Jerusalem Jews, have too often tried to impose our own superior interpretations and cultural expressions of faith upon Christians in other settings. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the Western culture is terrible, but this is for every culture who needs to hear this as well, yeah? That we all pass judgment on other cultures. It's saying that we all need to be constantly thinking about. The last thing I want to talk about is I just want to talk about tolerance versus acceptance. This is a saying that Jan always talks to me about, Jan and Marianne, when we, when we catch up. There's an important difference between tolerance and acceptance, Okay. So Esther sang out this morning. It was amazing. Can we just give a hand for Esther for that song? That was so good to hear, Esther. So, so good. Now, it's important to think, what were we thinking when Esther did that? Were we just tolerating what Esther was doing, thinking, all right, the real worship will start soon? <laughs> or were we accepting what Esther was doing? Were we saying... You know what, I know that God is using these people in different nations to really bless us. I really love, Esther actually made that song up last night, by the way. That was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I phoned her at about 6 o'clock last night and asked her if she knew a song. And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll think of one. And it made it up. So <laughs> it was great. But talking, what was the translation that we heard uh, was written on the board about how the Holy Spirit rules in this place. I've not really heard a song talking about Holy Spirit ruling. I'm talking about being here. But it's so encouraging to know that the Holy Spirit rules in this place, knowing that there is no demonic activity that is allowed to take place here because Holy Spirit rules here. You see, these are the things that different cultures can bring to us. So Esther, you know it, you know it but we love it and accept it so much when you bring things like that to us. And so these are things to think about. There are things that will be a bit confusing and we might feel a bit weird about when people do them, but we've always got to continue to ask ourselves, is this biblical or is it my own culture that's making it sound wrong? Uh, If we can get Jack just to come up and play a song. I'm going to finish with with this. It's a quote from a guy called Whakahui Hui Verko, who was the Bishop of Aotearoa in 1990, and he spoke at Waitangi Day in front of the Queen and the Prime Minister there. Now, he was supposed to be just a, a funny little guy who was supposed to get up there and do a quaint little thing, maybe utter a few Māori words, and then kind of get off the stage. It was kind of what everyone was expecting from him. But he got up there... And he absolutely blew everybody out of the water with the things that he said. In front of the Queen and things like that, he was talking about how we've got to start honouring the treaty, how there's people who are having land taken away from them and we've got to continue to honour that and continue to help people in those situations. And The Queen turns to the Prime Minister of New Zealand. I can't remember who who he was in 1990. Someone might know. What's that? Jeffrey Palmer. Palmer. So the Queen turns to him and goes, is this one of your radicals? (laughs) And he was like, oh, I didn't think so. (laughs) (laughs) But the things he kind of came up and said are amazing. And this is how he concluded his talk. He said this. He said, let us sit and listen to one another. And so I conclude, as I remember the songs of our land and I remember the history of our land, I weep here on the shores of the Bay of Islands. May God give us the courage to be honest with one another, to be sincere with one another, and above all, to love one another in the strength of God. Now this is something that is a cry for all of us as a nation, isn't it? That there are so many different cultures in our nation. Let us take what Whakahuhu Virko has said and apply it to all of us from different cultures. What I want you to know is that if you're here this morning and you're from a culture that is not Māori and not New Zealand Pākehā, even though you two are included, but (laughs) you're kind of from New Zealand, what I want to say is that you're so welcome here this morning. You're so welcome here this morning. we use the word Tūrangawaewae. We use that word. We've used it as a place a way to describe Jesus. Tūrangawaewae translate to standing place or place you have a right to stand. A place that is home for you. And we've talked about Jesus being that for us before, as a, as a church, haven't we? How we can refer to Jesus as our He is our standing place, a place that we can call home. Well, I want to say this morning that if you feel you're here and you might be from somewhere, a different nation, even just another part of New Zealand, and you're struggling with a sense of belonging that this church here can be your Tūranga Yy as well. That, that is what we feel called to as a church. We feel called to be a home and a place for people from all cultures, all backgrounds, all nations. Let's stand. Can we all just close our eyes for a bit? Let's just close our eyes. first thing I want to pray for is I want to pray for people who do have a real struggling with a sense of home. For people who might feel that they don't have a sense of belonging at the moment. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up or come forward or anything like that. But why don't we all just put our hands- why don't we all put our hands up so it doesn't make that, that people feel awkward? I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that we are home with you. I thank you that you accept all cultures. You don't tolerate all cultures, you accept all cultures. I thank you for that, Father. And I pray, God, continue to help people to feel home amongst us, Father. That maybe there's some ways that we all need to change, Father. Help us change. Help us look at ourselves and and change what we see as wrong. We pray against any ethnocentric attitudes amongst us. And even though these ethnocentric attitudes will never go away, help us just to continue to bring it before you, Father. That when someone does something that seems slightly weird to your own culture or our own culture, that we say, God, is this biblical? And we bring it and we compare it to Scripture, not to our own, our own cultures and our own worldviews. Father, I thank you that the church was always meant to be a beautiful multicultural, multicultural bride. Father, that we're not called to be a church of one culture. How boring would that be? We say, Father, just continue to do a work amongst us as a people. Help us to let people feel at home amongst us, God.